Good evening. Good to see you tonight. Glad that we can uh, be back here together. Uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Passage you're familiar with. want to start here and uh, talk about a little bit of Hebrews chapter 11, a little bit of Hebrews chapter 12, and then we're going to jump back into Mark. Uh, this morning we were in Mark chapter 4. Uh, as we kind of walk through, not necessarily hitting all the, all the points uh, in Mark and Jesus' uh, story in the book of Mark, but I wanted to back up a little bit. And tonight our main focus will be uh, looking at and appreciating the faith of the 12 apostles, looking at and appreciating the faith of the 12 apostles. In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, you're familiar with these verses starting in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it men of old gained approval. And then throughout rest of, uh, the rest of chapter 11, we read about men and women of faith in the Old Testament that proved their faith, that showed their faith, that their faith led to them taking action. And of course, in my mind, the, the difference between belief and faith is that faith means following. Uh, faith means there's going to be some, some action. We know the scripture tells us that demons believe and they shudder, uh, but they're not acting on that faith. They're not acting on that belief uh, because they don't have the, the trust that faith means. And when we have faith in God, it's more than just a recognition of there is a God or even that Jesus is his son. Faith is a trust in everything that he has told us about himself, everything that he's told us about ourselves, and everything that he's told us to do that we ought to do and the promises that he's made that if we do those things, then we will be blessed. In Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 32, I love all the, the stories, the individual stories, and you can, you know, there's just little brief nuggets of those really massive stories from the Old Testament, and those are powerful, but I really like some kind of those, those unsung heroes that we read about in verses 32 and following. Notice what it says there. And what more shall I say? For time will f- fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel and the prophets. It's interesting to me that David, who we really celebrate, and David is, you know, there's some great stories. He's like, oh yeah, I don't have time to tell you about David. I mean, that's pretty significant. If you were going to tell about some of the faithful people of the Old Testament, you might start with David, but he says, oh, that's just a footnote. Verse 33, these people who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking and scourging, yes, also chain and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. We're amazed. I am. I'm sure you are. We're amazed by these people of faith, not just these people of belief, not just these people who claimed that they would believe in some sort of God or a specific God, even of the, the Hebrews, but their, their, their faith led them to action, led them to following Jesus, not just through the good times, uh, but following God through the very difficult times, and even in their following God led them through difficult times. Remember that uh, Psalm 23, that the shepherd sometimes leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes to follow the shepherd, that's where you have to go. Because that's where he leads us. 
Our faith is not always easy, but if we follow Jesus, we know that he will take us through. In Romans chapter 12, it talks about, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, basically what he's saying is, look, you can look to these people in the past. Uh, Some of them are your ancestors. Some of them are people that you know. Now, that's thousands of years ago for us, but you can think about in your life people that you know that have gone through difficulty and have been faithful and have been faithful and that has been blessing a blessing to you and a blessing to them and a blessing to other peoples. Since we have all these people surrounding us, let us here now today run with endurance the race that is set before us after we lay aside the sin and the things which so easily entangles us. And then verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Tonight we're going to talk about 12 apostles. Uh, In Mark chapter 4, we talked about this morning as he began to preach in parables. Right before that, In Mark's account, he calls the 12. He's had a number of disciples, a number of people, maybe maybe hundreds of people that have followed him from place to place and have, in essence, committed their lives to being followers of Jesus. They're literally following him around, but he picks 12 to be those that will do some some extra special work for him. Notice what it says here in Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Let me go ahead and warn you uh, that Courtney is my lovely assistant tonight because all of my notes are on PowerPoint, so if it goes wrong, it's his fault. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, it says, And he, Jesus, appointed twelve out of the hundreds, maybe thousands, so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and that they would have authority to cast out Demons. So we want to look at briefly tonight. We won't have time to go into a lot of details of any of them. And the reality is something we might not appreciate a whole lot. There's not a whole lot of details in the Bible about most of these men. So we want to appreciate what do we know about these men and what can we appreciate them maybe from some secular tradition or some secular history. And I want us really to notice one main theme at the end of the lesson. Uh, We'll bring it back together, okay? Uh, So let's go ahead and go to the, the first one there, Courtney. Of course, Peter. Uh, Peter is the one that we probably all recognize. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, those will be our first four. And they're kind of the ones that we probably know the most about. Okay, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they all have one thing in common. Uh, before they became followers of Jesus, uh, they were fishermen, probably. Uh, we know the, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, their father was a fisherman because in the midst of their calling, remember that Jesus says, hey, come follow me, and they leave their dad in the boat. Okay, they just leave him with all the work, all right? Uh, so we know that at least uh, their, their parents, their dad was a fisherman. Perhaps uh, Peter and Andrew's were as well, but they, have, they, were, they were fishermen. Uh, brother of Andrew... Uh, here are some, some mem- memorable moments and facts. Uh, he walked on water. Amazing. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible, to have the faith to step out of the boat and to walk on water. Uh, we need such faith. Uh, he, it's a, an interesting uh, thing, and in, in when he makes the great confession of Jesus that he's the, the resurrected Christ, or he's not the resurrected Christ, but he's the Son of God, uh, right after that, he also, as Jesus tells him, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to be crucified, remember he says, don't let that happen, may it never be, and, and what's Jesus' response to him? Get behind me, Satan. So in a matter of minutes, it seems, he makes this great confession that he's praised for, that talks about the beginning of the church and all of these amazing things, and he's given the keys of the kingdom, and then just a few moments later, he's called Satan, uh, he has some ups and downs. If there was a, a nickname for Peter, he may be the apostle of the ups and downs. He has some mountain peak experiences, and see, he has some very low lows. Another one there is the denial of Jesus. 
You'll remember, of course, that as Jesus is going through his trial, heading to his crucifixion, that he denies him three times, time after time after time, uh, making an oath at the very least to the third time. I swear, I don't know the man. And then the cock crows. And Jesus recognizes, or Peter recognizes his sin. And then I think it's in Luke's account, a uh, powerful image here, uh, that when, that when that happens, it says, the Lord turns and looks at Peter. They make eye contact in that moment of denial. Whew, can you imagine that? Can you imagine what that would have been like? Now, the reality is, we can't imagine what that's like because every time we sin, that's pretty much what it's like. When we willfully, knowingly choose to sin, we are crucifying again to ourselves the Son of God, Hebrews tells us. So we recognize that kind of pain. Uh, he's the man who preaches the, uh, the gospel sermon on Pentecost. He at least is the leader of that. Uh, plays a very important role in the, uh, the Gentiles becoming Christian. I think we've talked about this at some point, at least in a Bible class here, but a, a very important point to make. Uh, Gentiles were not people in the church. They were not uh, really allowed to be in the church uh, for the first 10 years that the church existed. You ha- if you wanted to be a Christian the first 10 years of the church, you had to first uh, become a Jew. You had to become a proselyte to the Jews. And then after that, you could become a Christian. Remember, that was the whole big thing about uh, the party of the circumcision and the Judaizers, and there was just a, a whole big deal about it. But Peter has a vision where this sheet of animals, all kinds of animals comes down, some of them clean, some of them un- unclean, according to the Old Testament law. And a voice from heaven says, kill and eat. And Peter's response is, there ain't no way. I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says to him, and whatever I say is clean, is clean. Now kill and eat. And from that, he gets the point, hey, it's not just Jews who can be followers of Jesus. It's Gentiles as well, because God has declared it to be so. Uh, he writes First and Second Peter, and then, of course, the, the, the Gospel of Mark relies heavily upon probably Peter's uh, eyewitness testimony. Of course, divided, or written by and inspired by the Holy Spirit, but... Mark and Peter seem to have known each other pretty well, so no doubt there were lots of conversations between Mark and Peter, and that's why some of the things that are in Mark are there. What about his death? We're going to talk about that as well as as one of our points. He was crucified uh, upside down around 64 AD by Emperor Nero. Okay, uh, he's one of the ones that we're pretty sure about. As again, as we go throughout the rest of these, uh, the later on we get in our list, the less and less we know about uh, exactly what happened to him. Uh, but he was crucified uh, upside down. The reason he wanted to be crucified upside down, at least according to tradition, this is not within scripture, uh, is that he did not consider himself worthy uh, to be crucified the same way that his Lord was. So he was crucified upside down. All right, let's go to Andrew. Andrew is my favorite because that's my name. Uh, he was a fisherman. He was the brother of Peter. Uh, Andrew, I think, gets a bad rap because most of the time, hey, how many of you are so-and-so's mom or so-and-so's dad? You've lost your identity because now you're just somebody else's parent. Most of us as parents, especially of young kids or school-age kids, that's kind of what happens is we become somebody else's parent or somebody's spouse or something along those lines. That's kind of the rap that Peter gets here. He's, or Andrew gets here. He's Peter's brother. And that's really about all you hear about him. But it's important. Uh, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. I think that's significant, okay? Peter is much more well-known. He takes a much more prominent leadership position uh, within the church in in the first century. Uh, But without Andrew, we may not even have had a Peter. So what about for you? Maybe you're not an upfront person. Maybe you're not somebody who's going to, to take a prominent leadership position. But maybe you will bring someone to the Lord. Maybe your children. Maybe you'll raise them up in the Lord, and maybe they'll take prominent roles, or they'll do great things for the Lord as you've done great things for the Lord in bringing them to 
the Lord. Uh, So he brings Peter to Jesus, uh, and he recognizes him in John chapter 1, verses 41 and 42 as the Messiah. He recognizes that specifically. Again, again, if we think about Andrew, maybe he's the person who brings people to Jesus, because in the feeding of the 5,000, he's the one who brings the boy with the fish to Jesus. He's a provider. He says, hey, I don't know what we can do with this, but here it is. Here's what we've got. Oh, for such a faith as that. For such a faith as that in Cookville to say, hey, I don't know how we're going to reach all these lost people, but here I am, send me. I don't know how we're going to reach all these lost people, but here we are, we'll do what we can. God, use us. And because Andrew brings this boy, this boy was willing to bring his fish, 5,000 people are fed and they glorify Jesus. So maybe there's a lesson for us there as well. Oh, how did Andrew die? He was crucified on a cross shaped like the letter X. Again, according to tradition, and the same reason for his brother Peter being uh, uh, crucified separately, he didn't feel like he was worthy of being crucified the same way that Jesus was crucified. All right, let's go to John, I believe, is next. James, excuse me. Uh, James is the son of Zebedee, uh, brother of John. Lots of their facts here are, are very similar. He's a fisherman. Uh, they're called, they have the nickname Jesus gives them the nickname the Sons of Thunder. Uh, and they, they have some, James and John have some really, bad moments. You know, we think about Peter having some bad moments, but James and John have some pretty negative moments in, in the greater picture of things. Uh, they ask about calling down fire to, to destroy an entire village. It's a little harsh. Uh, they're definitely your hell, hellfire and brimstone preachers, okay? Uh, they're the ones that are going to really really bring it and, and, and literally uh, t- bring down fire from heaven to destroy an entire village. Uh, they both ask for a place of prominence, uh, this is uh, something that I think is, is significant. Their, their mother does this. Uh, they do this multiple times. Every time there's an, an argument about who, who is the greatest, it seems that James and John are at the center of the problem of the argument. Uh, I, I believe they may have had a problem with pride. And I believe that's why John in his gospels addresses or in his letters addresses pride sometimes, is that he may have had a problem with pride. Uh, He's martyred by Herod. He's the first uh, apostle to be martyred. We read about this in Scripture in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. We're not given any details. Uh, It just said that he's killed by the sword. Well, what does that mean? Was he ran through with the sword? Was he beheaded? We're not exactly sure, uh, but he certainly died for his faith. All right, let's talk about his brother John. Again, sons of Zebedee. Uh, let's see if there's anything different here. He, uh, this is different. Uh, remember at the cross when Jesus is hanging there, he says, uh, John, who's the only apostle at the cross, I believe, uh, and Mary, his, uh, Jesus' mother is there, and he says, son, behold thy mother, mother, behold thy son. You know, John is the one who uh, describes himself, uh, but he does describe himself as the one, the apostle whom Jesus loved. They seem to have had a, a close relationship. Peter, James, and John are certainly the closest three to Jesus. Uh, they spend the most time with Jesus outside of the 12. Maybe John is the best friend of Jesus in some form or fashion because he asked John to take care of his mom. Okay, think about that. You're in your dying moments. You have an opportunity to make sure your mom's taken care of. He makes sure that John is there to take care uh, of his mom. Uh, he writes the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the Revelation of Jesus. Uh, again, John's kind of funny because he describes himself as the apostle whom Jesus loves, and he also, in the resurrection story, he doesn't say it, but he says it, that as Peter and John were running to the, to the tomb, he says, and Peter got outran, and I was the one. He doesn't say that, but we can infer from some other, uh, other facts that uh, John outran Peter to the tomb. So kind of just uh, an interesting uh, thing there. His death. Uh, he died of old age, either 
while he was on the island of Patmos uh, in exile or afterwards. Uh, again, according to some traditions, uh, he was able to eventually leave the island and he went to Ephesus and preached there for some time. Uh, Ephesus would have been a place to be in the first century. Okay, Paul spent three years there. Paul loves the Ephesians. Paul reaches out to the Ephesian elders. Uh, Timothy is there. That's why First and Second Timothy are written to Timothy while he's in Ephesus. Perhaps John goes there. Ephesus would have been a congregation that you might want to have been a part of during the first century. Uh, so that's the, the Apostle John. Let's keep going to the next one. All right, Philip. So here we're getting into ones that we don't know as much about. Okay, uh, we, we know generally the most important thing for tonight's lesson about all of them, uh, but we don't know as much about the rest of the guys, the other eight apostles, really. Uh, Philip is only mentioned eight times in the New Testament, and four of those are in the list of the apostles. So when there's this listing of the apostles in the Gospels and in Acts, uh, he's mentioned there. Uh, he invites Nathaniel or Bartholomew, we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, to come see Jesus. So he's another one who, who is an inviter. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about Philip uh, outside of that he was an apostle, that he had these abilities, that he went out and, and certainly did the work that he was assigned to do, but he's not, he's not trumpeted the same way Peter, Andrew, James, and John, especially Peter, James, and John are, uh, but he brings other people to Jesus. Uh, in the feeding of the 5,000, he's tested. It's Jesus who turns to Philip and says, hey, how are we going to feed these people? And his response is, I don't know. It would take a whole lot of money to feed these people, and we don't have that much money. I don't know how we're going to do it, Jesus. And again, there's, there's the juxtaposition that I appreciate about Andrew. Philip says, I don't know how we're going to do this. Andrew says, hey, we've got some fish. At least Andrew brings something, right? Uh, bring what you can, uh, 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 provide what you can. He also uh, praises Jesus and makes sure that he, he recognizes who he is when he is uh, blessed in that way. Uh, death, questions uh, due to confusion. Uh, in the first century church and the, the centuries afterwards, there was a lot of confusion about uh, multiple Philips. And this is going to be a constant theme throughout the rest of the apostles we're going to talk about. There were a lot of people who had very similar names, and they didn't have necessarily first and last names in the same way that we think about first and last names. So there was a lot of confusion. Okay, you think about those, uh, those seven men in the book of Acts that we generally think of as the, uh, the first deacons. Well, one of them was named Philip. Uh, and he was a pretty prominent leader. And he was uh, an evangelist and, and this deacon helping the, uh, the Grecian widows. So there's in the, in the secular writings about important first century Christians, when they say Philip, sometimes they were talking about Philip the apostle. Sometimes they're talking about Philip the evangelist. And sometimes maybe they're talking about a whole another Philip that we don't even know about. So there's some confusion about what happened uh, specifically to Philip. But it's believed, it's believed that all of the apostles, except for Judas, were martyred. Uh, we'll talk about more about that in a second. Let's go to the next one. All right, Bartholomew. Uh, most believe this is Nathaniel. So you look at different verses, different passages, and some of them say Bartholomew. Some of them say, uh, Nath- say Nathaniel. And here's some of the reasons for that. In all but the list in Acts chapter 2, verse 13, where those, that list of the apostles, uh, Bartholomew and Philip are always listed together. Uh, and Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus in John chapter 1. Remember John... He just approaches things from a different perspective, right? Remember Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're all pretty similar, telling similar kind of stories, maybe from slightly different perspectives, giving some different angles and some different information. Uh, John, just he's just out in left field. It's good stuff, but it's just different. Uh, and, and maybe that's why he even uses a different name for Bartholomew. He uses Nathaniel. Um, and when he's, when he's approached, when Philip approaches him and says, hey, come and see Jesus, uh, here's his initial response in John one forty six: Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? He doubts if 
the promised one, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Savior of the Israelites, could even come from a place like Nazareth. Maybe you come from a place like Nazareth, uh, but God can use you for good things too. Uh, He also, in John chapter 1, verse 49, once he meets Jesus, he recognizes and calls him the Son of God and the King of Israel. Uh, His death is gruesome. That's about all we know for sure. What happened? Uh, Was he crucified? Perhaps. Uh, Some say he was flayed alive. Uh, And others say that he was beheaded. And still others say all of those things happened to Bartholomew or Nathaniel. It was gruesome. All right? It was a a horrible way to die, whatever way it was. All right? Let's keep going. Uh, Matthew, uh, he's probably... We probably think we know a lot about Matthew, and we do know some about Matthew, but he's only mentioned seven times in the Bible. Uh, he, he just doesn't play uh, a whole lot of a, a big role after, really outside of him writing the, the gospel of Matthew and outside the gospel times. We don't really just hear a whole lot about him, but we know some pretty significant things about him. He's also known as Levi, and he's a tax collector. Uh, those are significant things. Now, it's true that uh, Mark and Luke uh, also mentioned that he's a tax collector, But it's powerful to me that Matthew tells us he's a tax collector in his gospel. Remember, because tax collectors are are equal with irreligious people, tax collectors are equal with uh, people, with prostitutes, uh, the the lowest of the low socially seeming, and Matthew says, hey, that was me, but I'm not that way anymore. And then to be known as Levi, well, why would his name have been Levi? Because he was a part of the tribe of Levi. He could have been a Levite. He could have been a priest. So not only was he someone who was a tax collector, turned his back on God's people, but he could have been someone who was extremely close to God, had an extremely close spiritual relationship with God, and he went the total opposite direction, but he comes back. It's a redemption story. Uh, right after his calling, uh, he is, uh, has this, uh, um, this meal for Jesus, Apparently, probably from being a tax collector, he was pretty well off. He throws a large banquet for Jesus. There are tax collectors and sinners who are there. And that's where in Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, after the Pharisees complain about why are you you eating? Why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? He reminds them and really sets the tone for his entire ministry. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. It's not the well who need a doctor, but the sick. And of course, he writes the gospel of Matthew. He's martyred. Um, Scholars disagree on the specifics, but they do disagree or they do agree excuse me, that he was martyred. All right, next one. Uh, Thomas. As soon as I said that, you knew what I was talking about because of Doubting Thomas. Uh, he has that nickname. And it's really tough to have that nickname. If you were there, some of us ha- have a mind like Thomas. And we would have said or thought the very same thing that he said. I won't believe it. I won't believe it till I see it. I won't believe it until I put my hands into the holes in his hands, until I put my hand into the hole in his side. I just can't believe. I know that he died on that cross. I just can't believe it. Uh, He's also called the twin. We know nothing else about his twin. Uh, His cautious approach to faith gives an example of evidence-based faith that so many are interested in today. Uh, the, The idea of apologetics. Why should we believe what the Bible says? Thomas would have been an apologist. He would have been someone who would have been interested in knowing the, the why, and no doubt he knew the Old Testament and, and, and looked at those prophecies, and probably before he became an apostle of Jesus, he, he really dug into that kind of thing. He wasn't someone to just believe it because you said it. He's someone who really dug into that, and again, some of you are like that. 
I can think about some specifics, people of you that are like that, that, uh, that, that question, and, that, and that's, that's a healthy thing is what I'm trying to tell you. It's not, God is not afraid of our questions because he has the answers. So when we doubt or when we wonder or when we uh, want to know more, uh, Thomas is a good example of that because eventually, remember he says, my Lord and my God. When he's committed, he is fully committed. And he figured it out and he became fully committed. And then in John chapter 20, verse 29, uh, we today are blessed by Jesus through Thomas's doubt. Remember he says, you're blessed because you, you believe because you saw it. Blessed are those who believe because they didn't see it. Uh, we today are blessed because of that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, again, for, for someone who in Scripture and really even outside of Scripture is pretty well, um, outside of being known as Doubting Thomas, we just don't know a whole lot about what he did after the beginning of the church and, and those types of things. It is generally widely agreed upon how he died, that somehow he made his way all the way to India preaching the gospel and that he was speared through with a, a lance or a spear and died that way. Pretty interesting. You know, we hear about, and we, we may mention some of this and some of the other guys, but uh, that these guys, they travel. All, you know, they, take, they took that going to all the world and preach the gospel. They took that pretty seriously, and they didn't just stay around uh, Judea. They didn't just stay around Palestine. They, they went, and Thomas is definitely a, an example of that. Again, we don't have any of it in Scripture. Nothing, we don't have any details about it, but it's pretty widely accepted by first century historians uh, that he went to India, and that's where he died because of his faith. All right, next. Uh, James. And you say, we already talked about James, not this one. Uh, James, the son of Alphaeus. And here's another example of how things kind of get confusing, okay, about some of the details and how we can know specifics. Uh, so you have James, the son of Zebedee, the, the brother of John, uh, who's part of the, the big three, if you will, Peter, James, and John. Uh, but here we have James, the less, or James, the son of Alphaeus. Uh, James, the son of Alphaeus specifically is only mentioned four times. Uh, you also have mentions of James, the less. You also have mentions of James, the brother of Jesus. And there are within scholarly people, okay, not people necessarily I would always agree with, and a lot of times I would disagree with them, uh, but they wonder if James the less, or James the son of Alphaeus, uh, was James the brother of Jesus. Well, there's a few questions there, right? Who's Jesus' earthly father? Joseph, not Alphaeus. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, to start with. Uh, in Galatians chapter uh, 1 and verse 19, so here, here's, turn to Galatians 1 19. Let's, let's look at it, because uh, this is where perhaps there's a little bit of there's a question to be had. There's a question to be had here in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 19. So in Galatians, Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia, and he's telling them about all about his history. Uh, his apostleship is being doubted, and he's saying, no, really, I am an apostle. Let me tell you why I'm an apostle. Let me tell you my story. Uh, remember, on the road to Damascus, uh, he uh, meets Jesus, has interaction with Jesus. He goes into Damascus. He becomes a Christian by being baptized, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. Uh, after that, he stays in Damascus. He also goes into Arabia for three years or so. So that's really his first missionary journey before we even get to you know the the Mediterranean missionary journeys but eventually he works his way back to Jerusalem so the point that he makes here in Galatians 1 is when I became a Christian I didn't run to the apostles and say hey what do I need to do I followed Jesus Saul who became Paul he knew the Old Testament 
He had no question about what God wanted him to do. So he started living that way immediately. He didn't go to anybody else and say, hey, what do I need to do? Okay, Uh, but in Galatians chapter one, verse 19, uh, let's start in verse 18. Then three years later, after I became a Christian, three years later, uh, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas. Okay, who's Cephas? That's Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. But I did not see any other apostles except James, except James, the Lord's brother. Okay, so there's, wait a second, what's going on there? Didn't see any other apostle except for James, the Lord's brother. There's a problem there, right? When we think about the 12 apostles, James, the Lord's brother, isn't one of them, at least in the lists that we have. And we think about apostles as different than disciples, different than just your average, if you will, Christian or follower of Jesus. So that's kind of where the the question comes into. John chapter 7 and verse 5 gives us a little bit of an example here or an answer here in John chapter 7 and verse 5, it tells us that his brothers didn't believe him. Again, there's a little bit of question there. Did that mean all of his brothers didn't believe in him, didn't believe that he was the Christ, or were there just some of the brothers that didn't believe? Either way, here I think is the easiest answer. We think of apostle kind of how we think about elder or shepherd, okay? Uh, there are people who are elders because of their, their age and their experience. But then we have elders here at Jefferson Avenue. We have eight of these men who fill the role of elder. Okay, uh, in first century times, the, world, the word apostle existed before the role of apostle. The word apostle existed before the role of apostle. So potentially here, what, John, what uh, Paul is saying here in Galatians chapter 1 is I didn't get, I didn't get uh, acquainted with any other Christians, any other the, the Christian leaders, the apostles, lowercase apostle, if you will, other than James and Cephas. Uh, so there, there's the question, but you can see why that would bring uh, some difficulty into trying to track down the history of James. You've got James, the son of Alphaeus is one of his names. You've got James, the less is one of his names. And then you have James, the brother of Jesus. And by the way, James, the brother of Jesus does become a believer and is a prominent leader in the Jerusalem church, a very prominent leader in the Jerusalem church. Uh, so it would be easy for James the Less, or James the son of Alphaeus, to kind of get lost in the shuffle uh, in some of these ways. And just to, uh, to add a little bit more difficulty to it, uh, in Mark chapter 2 and verse 14, Levi, or Matthew, is also called the son of Alphaeus. All right? So let's just throw that out there to make it just a little bit more difficult. The point being, whatever name you call him by, he followed Jesus. Uh, and at the end of his life, uh, he died. And he died, well, that's what happens at most people's end of their life. Uh, but he died by, by martyrdom, okay? He died, again, because of his faith. We don't know specifics, uh, but he died because of his faith uh, in, in some form or fashion. Let's keep going. Uh, Jude. Wow, we know a lot about him, don't we? That's a pretty short list. Um, also known as Thaddeus. So, again, there's another example of uh, Bartholomew and Nathaniel of uh, different lists using different names, but Jude is Thaddeus. Uh, you can imagine why someone, two reasons really, why someone might not have wanted to be called Judas uh, in the apostles. Well, if there are two Judases, that's a little confusing. So maybe that's why uh, that he went by Jude rather than, than Judas uh, or even by Thaddeus. Uh, and then certainly after Judas's um, denial and betrayal uh they would not want to be associated with that name um again some people say that he could potentially be a brother of jesus jesus did have a brother named jude Uh, he did have a brother named james Uh, but we again know from john chapter 7 verse 5 that for the large majority of his ministry perhaps even through his death 
his brothers did not believe that he was the Christ. And that's a whole other question for a whole other time that I don't know the answers to, uh, but that's an interesting thing. Uh, and his death, he's uh, martyred while on a missionary journey with Simon the Zealot. That is what uh, most um, historians believe. Okay, let's talk about Simon next. Uh, Simon the Zealot, uh, what does that mean? Most often the way that I think about it, and uh, it's uh, the most compelling, and maybe that's the way that I, why the reason I think about it this way, uh, the Zealots were a, a messianic revolutionary group, okay? They looked for the Messiah to return and to lead them in revolution against whoever was in charge at the time, okay? That would have been the Romans in the first century. Uh, they expected, uh, as, as many of the apostles did, that when and many of the Jews did, that when the Messiah came back, that they would return to the glory of their time of King David or King Solomon. Uh, but it's possible also that when it says Simon the Zealot, maybe he was just extremely zealous about the Mosaic law. Maybe he was just extremely zealous about following a, a follower of Jesus. We're not exactly sure but again there there was a religious group or not a religious group uh, a um, political group religiously political group that was called the zealots in the first century that he could have been a, a part of and uh, again according to tradition he preached in egypt uh, again traveling uh, the world at that time uh, he's martyred in ethiopia okay so here here's some examples of of this travel here uh, it, it's believed here's three different ideas he could have been martyred in ethiopia which is in africa he could have been martyred in Britain, which is not in Africa, uh, and he was uh, potentially sawn in two, or he died of old age. So, we really don't know. We're really just not sure. Uh, but for most of the guys, most of the 12 apostles, it's believed that they died horrible deaths because of their faith. What's next? Judas. All right, so we know a lot about Judas uh, because of what Judas did. He betrays Jesus. Uh, his name becomes a synonymous, uh, synonymous, excuse me, uh, with traitor. Uh, in John chapter 12, verse 4, four it tells us that he's the treasurer of the apostles, so he has that role. Uh, it also tells us that in a negative way to bring out this point, that he would use the money for himself, basically that he would steal from the, uh, the money. Uh, most people believe, and Scripture supports this idea certainly, uh, that his betrayal was because of greed. Uh, some also say... Uh, and, and scripture can support this idea, not as clearly, uh, that he could have been, he could have betrayed Jesus to try and force Jesus to show his hand. Okay? Uh, here's the idea behind that idea. I don't know if I buy into it or not, but here's a possibility. Okay? We know that after Jesus is betrayed, and after he's arrested, and after he's heading towards his death, what is Jesus' response? He's remorseful, right? He goes back to the priest and says, I have betrayed innocent blood. And he tries to give the money back. Okay? And he throws it down at, at them and doesn't, doesn't take the money. Then he goes out and kills himself. He responds in a negative way, but he has remorse. Okay, so from that, this is, they're adding some, some supposition to it. Uh, they're saying, well, he, maybe he just wanted Jesus to finally show his hand, to finally declare himself to be Messiah. It, especially if he, if he, like some of the apostles did, and many of the Jews did, thought that the Messiah was going to come back and, and take over and be a powerful leader Maybe he was just trying to force his hand. Maybe. Maybe so. Uh, but, but the problem is, Judas still went to a solution that was an everlasting solution to a temporary problem. He went to an everlasting or long-term, uh, uh, you-can't-come-back-from-it kind of solution to a temporary problem. He had betrayed Jesus. So had Peter. And Peter runs out weeping. 
He's just extremely distraught. But he comes back. Could Judas have come back? You know, to fulfill all the prophecies and that kind of thing, you know, it wasn't meant to be. But is it possible for us when we betray Jesus to come back? It is possible. It's possible for us to do that. So I think we could argue that Judas could have done that. Uh, But he chose a permanent solution. There's the word I'm looking for. A permanent solution to a temporary problem. And he hung himself. And again, another example of a, a gruesome death. All right, what's the last slide there? In Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16, he tells the 11 uh, apostles there as he, right before he uh, descends or ascends into heaven, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. We look at a few examples, Thomas specifically, maybe some of the others that they certainly did that. They went into the world, all the world, not just their local area, all the world, and they preached the gospel. Here's, here's the thing I want you to, to think about. Here's the thing I want you to, to appreciate. Uh, John especially, he says, you know, we're, we're eyewitnesses of these things. Paul says we're eyewitnesses of these things. Uh, the, the importance of being able to, uh, to provide that, that eyewitness testimony. Um, my question is, excuse me, my question is, what did the apostles get for following Jesus? Most of them, definitely, and probably all of them, got pretty gruesome deaths. Or they were sent off into exile, taken away from everything they they knew and loved. But at all of these instances, no doubt, multiple times, given the opportunity, hey, renounce your faith and help us us to end this, this false teaching about this false God that you're talking about, they refused to do it. And they were willing to die for their faith. And much like those heroes, men and women of, of Hebrews chapter 11, they didn't get to see all of the blessings. Uh, Jesus didn't return. You know, there's, there's another thing. Because, because no one knows when Jesus is going to return, probably some of the apostles thought, hey, he'll be back soon. We won't be around for too much longer. We can make it through this. And 10 years passed, and 20 years passed, and 30 years passed, and 40 years passed. But they kept and they maintained their faith. So that's the challenge for us, isn't it? We can look to them, we can say, well, look, through, look at what they were willing to go through. Look at what they endured, far worse than probably anything we'll ever experience. Not just in loss of life. You know, think about Paul who, you know, we weren't, we're not talking about Paul who's also an apostle, uh, but, but Paul certainly serves as a powerful example. Remember, he's, he's beaten and left for dead. He's shipwrecked multiple times. Uh, you know, he, he suffers a tremendous loss multiple times. And he still maintains his faith. All of these men and women of the, of the Bible, the New Testament, the Old Testament, and again, you can think about people in your life that have gone through some sort of difficulty and maintained their faith and perhaps even some sort of persecution. Or we can look to other places in the world today knowing that our brothers and sisters are being persecuted even today because of their faith. And we can take courage from that. Now, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, in some ways, I hope not. In some ways, if we did, it might strengthen our faith. I don't know that we'll ever experience persecution like even other people in the world are today. That might strengthen our faith. So I don't know if we need to not pray for it. I just know we need to pray to be faithful no matter what comes. And we can use these men and women of the Bible as an example and encouragement to do that. 
So tonight, as we talked about this morning, about going out and making sure that, uh, that we're the ones who, who that word produces, well, again, when we produce the fruit of the Spirit, when we spread the word of God, there will be some people who don't like that and don't like the way we act and don't like the way we just go about our business because it's contrary to what they think is good or right or normal or whatever else it might be. And we've got to ask ourselves, which one do we love more? Do we love ourselves more or do we love God more? And are we willing to deny ourselves, pick up our cross daily, and follow after him? Let's pray for courage. Let's pray with me now. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the lessons that we can learn from it. We thank you for the examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Lord, we thank you for putting people into our lives who have done great things for you in the midst of temptation and persecution and trial. Uh, God, we pray that if, if and when any of those things come our way, that we will maintain our faith. Uh, Lord, we are not perfect, but we want to be faithful. Uh, We want to do the right thing and do the right thing again and and strive to do the right thing every time the opportunity presents itself. Lord, we we know that sometimes that history has shown us and your word teaches us that when people do the things you want them to do, they suffer for it. That is a constant theme in the Bible. People suffer for following you. Lord, help us to follow you anyway because you are worthy of being followed. Because you made a sacrifice that bought us and rescued us from our sin. Lord, be with this congregation and help us to be who we need to be as a congregation. Lord, be with uh, us as individuals and in our families. Help us to be the parents we need to be, the children we need to be, the co-workers, the friends, the, the spouses. Lord, help us to strive to look to your word, to gain the knowledge and to apply it to our lives because we believe you are God and that your Son is the resurrected Son of God. Lord, thank you for your Son, Jesus, and we pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, Tonight, if you're struggling in your faith in any way, we want to be here for you and help you in whatever ways we can, uh, recognizing, I can recognize this, I'm confident everybody can, that we've all got struggles and we've all got difficulties. So if you have those, you're not alone. Uh, We're here for you and we want to help you. We want to pray with you. We want to come alongside you and bear your burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you need help tonight, we're here for you. If you're not a Christian tonight and you want to know more about it, we want to study with you about that. If you have any needs, we invite you to come come forward as we stand and sing.